There's a popular television show where there's a space cowboy roaming the galaxies, and he roams them with a little green dude who rides in a space thing with him. And there's a certain way that they make decisions. When things get really hard, when things get really tough, when there's a lot of conflict and they just don't know, should they go left, should they go right, should they help these people, should they not? Even when they're trying to, it's their own, own, own race, their own people, they try to make a hard decision. Should we unite? Should we go separate? They have a certain phrase that they always utter that seems to just squash all conflict and it sets them back on the course of the correct direction. What is that phrase that this space cowboy and his little green friend Grogu utter? Not a oh, Grogu says that a lot. This is the way. So you may not all watch that TV show, and that's fine, but it's amazing how that illustration of that one little phrase, three words, it settles every conflict that they run into. This is the way. When it's really difficult for the main character to say, oh, that's a really hard decision. I might rather go over here. They just say, this is the way, and they move on. When there's interpersonal conflict between multiple of them, like, hey, the last time you blew up my home and now you want me to help you again, it's like that's a hard decision to make. And they go with each other and say, this is the way. And then they move forward. We have something much more sure than three words out of the script of a television show. We have God's word in our hands. It does happen to have the same aspect of this is the singular article, the way. Everything we read in God's Word is going to guide us to what is the right way that we should operate. What is the right way that we should make decisions. When it seems difficult, this is the way. When it seems easy, this is the way. When there's conflict, either outside of you or inside of you, this is the way. God's Word tells us which way we need to go. We're in the book of Ephesians. We're parachute jumping into the last chapter tonight of the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 3 is where you can turn your Bibles as we get there. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 to 3. But let me give you some context about that book that makes sense why we start with the idea of this is the way. The theme of the entire book of Ephesians is this is the eternal plan of God. When Paul wrote this letter to Ephesus, he included the first half, the first three chapters of this book, and he made it all about the doctrine. Who is God? Who is Christ? He's the head of the church. What does that mean for you? He has saved you. If you're predestined, so everybody that responds to the gospel before eternity past, God has selected you, not out of anything you have done, because of how gracious He is. And He's sealed you in the Holy Spirit, so you can have assurance of your salvation. And He walks forward in the second three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, He says, so now you understand who God is, you understand this is God's plan for you, this is what He's called you for, this is what He's called you to do, He says, now... This is how you live. In chapter 5, he gets really specific. He says, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Copy what God has said to do. Be imitators. You are made in His image. You bear His image. His ability, your ability to, to reason, your ability to uh, rationalize in your brains, your ability to worship, your ability to make decisions, to have emotions. All of the rest of creation doesn't have that. Humans do. Why? Because God made us in His image. 
And he's told you, as they be as children, imitate me. Well, okay, in first, and then in Ephesians 5.18, he tells you, well, how, how do you do that? And he says, well, don't be under the influence of the world's resources. Like he says the word drunkenness, because alcohol, to an extent, will then make you unable to control yourself. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean, filled with? It means fully underneath the influence of. As you make decisions as a believer, you understand his plan for humanity, for yourself. As you make decisions then, be filled and fully under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that sounds great. How do I do that? In Colossians chapter 3, a parallel passage written to a church nearby, you put those together and it explains it. You dwell richly. This is Colossians 3.16. He says, you dwell richly in the word of Christ and you do what it says. This is the way. And so tonight we get to look at a specific way that he has instructed children to relate inside of the family unit. Which means there's instruction for parents, and because there's parents in the room, we will glance at it so you know it's not just, hey, kids, listen up. It's a two-party system, right? So we're going to look at that too. I want to make sure that it's fair and balanced. But we're going to look at God's Word, Ephesians 6, chapter 1 to 3, and we're going to see his instruction that he has for the words of the way. So if you find Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bible, verses 1 to 3, I'll read our text. I'll give you our theme, we'll set it up, and we'll pray as we get started. Our text says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. The theme tonight, as you look at all of these relationships, and you look uh, at the latter part of Ephesians chapter 5, and into the early part of Ephesians chapter 6, is that God-honoring society, the way God designed it, it's founded on two things. It's founded on the gospel, and it's founded on obedient, parent-honoring children. God's designed society, the way He says it should work, the way He says to go, is founded on two things, response to the gospel and obedient, parent-honoring children. So tonight we're going to see three parts of God's eternal plan that are right, that are the way. The first part we'll look at for your notes is that family relationships have been the plan all along. It's not a surprise, it's not a change, it's been the entire plan forever. The second thing we're going to look at is that children obey in their actions. And the third part is that children honor in their attitudes. I know we prayed as we started worship and ended worship. Let's pray again as we enter God's word to ready our hearts. Pray with me, please. Father, we are coming to your word. We are coming to your word, which, as we know, is the truth. And Lord, we know that Satan, through his lies, through the world system, offers up all kinds of false doctrine, all kinds of false thinking, all kinds of invitation into error and uh, sinful thoughts. Lord, so much that your word, you have told us not to be driven by the winds and the waves of doctrine, not to be um, unthinking and unreasoning in our faith, but to be sober-minded and to do it according to your word. Lord, tonight, that's what we ask you to do. Reveal in our hearts the areas of our life that we are following you and your word, Lord. We're doing it well. And help us, as you encourage the, the Thessalonians, to excel still more and to praise you and to be in thankfulness. But Lord, also open our eyes to where our hearts 
and we're listening to our hearts and receptors on how we shouldn't live before you and correct us, Lord. Let your word shine the light of conviction and the light of praise into our hearts so that we can follow after you. Pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start part one, which is family relationships have been the plan all along, that means we have to go back to the beginning. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. So we go all the way back to the beginning to see, well, is that really true? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then God created, in verse 27, man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. That is a man, and that is a woman, and that is children. Y'all, that is a family. God's plan for humanity has been a family ever since the beginning. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In chapter 2 of of Genesis, verse 18, this is what the Lord God said. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Which means, I'm talking to a room of 6th to 12th graders, you need to know your purpose for God. You know, and it's to grow up, and it's to become a man that honors the Lord, and become a woman that honors the Lord, and then it's to get married to another one that's like that. Then you match up, man and woman, you get married, and then you have kids. I was at breakfast with my 5-year-old the other day. We go on dad dates, and it was a ton of fun. He loves it. We go to this escape donut shop just down the road, and digs it. And I asked my 5-year-old, his name's Lincoln, and I said, hey, Link, what is God's purpose for you? His eyes got real big and he said, to be a man. And I said, all right, we're making some progress here. This is good. I'm going to be a man. I said, great. What does he want you to do? He says, get married. He's five, but he, you know, he's learning what God's word is for him. And I said, okay, then what happens? You have babies. And then he did this really cute thing. He said, and then those babies grow up and they have babies. And then those babies grow up and they have babies. And those babies grow up and they have babies. And that went on for a little bit. But I got the point. It was so wonderful. He saw that God's truth, you know, he's five. His mind hasn't been twisted by what newspapers or media or other systems have said. His mind is just what I told him, what God's word says. And he's following after it. And he knows that that's God's purpose is a family unit. And it's been that way since the very beginning. Chapter 2, verse 21 says of Genesis, says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And in verse 24 of chapter 2, he says this, For this reason, bless you, a reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God's plan has been that it's a family all along. Today, though, this, it's kind of, there's a lot of different ideas that come out there. I ask you a question. How is society painting the picture of the necessity of the family today? Yeah, there's no, there's no need. It's not necessary to have a set order. Yeah, that's a message. Yeah, it's somehow negative to have 
parents in the home and telling them you obey them and you follow their and you follow the rules that God has instructed. It's negative. It oppresses you. It suppresses your ability to be yourself. Very much. It's, 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 that's a well. That's well summarized. It takes God out of the center of the universe and places you in the center of the universe and says it's all about you. And if someone's telling you that that's not true, then just ignore that and go do whatever you want. What happens to society if generation after generation after generation, like Lincoln said, all believes that? What happens to the fabric of society when you have more people going? It's about me. And I will destroy anything around me to prove it. And then it's about me. And I will destroy anything around to get it. And then it's about me. What happened? I wrote down chaos too. It's right there. You can ask me later. Yeah, it could become chaos. Somebody raise your hand over there. No? Yep. Yeah, it falls apart. It falls apart. Has anybody seen the world get crazier maybe, oh, like in the last six months? Yeah, it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Why? Because society is buying into that. God has had the family unit to be exactly what we need to do, exactly His plan the whole, the whole time. But if society ignores God's word, it gets worse and worse and worse. Yet the, the whole thing was, no, 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 if you ignore God's word and you replace it with what you want, it'll get better. That's the lie. People believe that. But everywhere around us, we see that it's not true. We see that it's not true. I want to jump into Proverbs for just a bit because you get the heart of God towards children and parents to see this. It sets us up really well. Everybody turn to Proverbs. Go to chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to go there too. Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to read the first seven verses. I want you to tell me what the purpose of Proverbs is specifically to you. You ready? The purpose of Proverbs specifically to you. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Did anybody catch what I just said? To the youth, knowledge and discretion. That was your hand. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and the man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What is the purpose of Proverbs to youth? To gain knowledge and discretion. If ever you're reading it, go up to verse 4, the beginning part of it. It says, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. And I meant to go to three, verse 3. Verse 3 says, To receive instruction in wise behavior so that what can happen? What's the last three words of verse 3? The four words. You know the answer. Let's just name Take. Righteousness. Righteousness, justice, and equity. Do you see the picture that God has for the world? It's righteousness, justice, and equity. I can't say that word. Justice and equity. That's the whole purpose. That's what he's going after. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. Just one page over maybe for you. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. 
It says, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. God's word is there for you as youth to know what God wants from you, to know what his purposes are for you and for all of humanity and how to abide by it. If you skip to the end of chapter 2, this is 21 and 22, you get to the end of the story. Chapter 2, verse 21 says, For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. The results of following after the Lord are clear. If you listen to His instruction, you hear His testimony given to you by parents. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. The first two words say, My son. That's a parent delivering instruction to their children because that's how God has set it up. My parents. I'm a parent. Parents giving instruction to children. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. The entire purpose that God has set up from the very beginning has been the family unit. He has a purpose for children, which is to receive instruction and to do it. You hear it? Hear my commandments and do them. Not hear them, thank you very much, and move on. Hear them and do them. What does that mean for parents, children? Yes, Bob? Parents are supposed to be telling you. You may live in a household where you go, that's really interesting. My parents haven't told me in a while what it says. Maybe that's not a habit at home. What does that mean that you can do? Children in this room, knowing that I'm supposed to receive instruction, what could you do? Ask what? About? Wisdom? And where do we get wisdom? The Bible. You could say, hey, I'd like to study the Bible with you. Would you help me understand? Would that be following the Lord's instruction to ask that of your folks? Yeah. You think they'd fall out of their chairs in happiness and joy? Yeah, they would. Even if they have a habit at home and you're like, we do it all the time. We do it like this and that and the other way. That's great. But if you ask because you want to know because you realize that God tells you children, get that instruction and live by it, they love it. They love it. And it's not about your parents loving it. That's a good side effect. That's a good benefit. But it's about obeying the Lord. And that's what he wants for you. He's told you that from the very beginning. Make your way back to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll look at our text more specifically today. But there's a, I'll, I'll tell you a, uh, a reason why this is so important. Not because of parents instructing children, not because of you having a, um, a good relationship at home. While you turn back to Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to share with you why this is so important. In Leviticus, which is a book about holiness before the Lord, chapter 19, verses 2 to 4, it says this, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. There's the reason why. 
You should be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Verse 3. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Did you catch that? God commands you to be holy because He is holy. Because He's holy and just and good and righteous. For anybody to have a relationship with Him, you must be holy. If you have a relationship with Him, you must be holy. Now you might be thinking, why is He like, well, I'm not holy. So what does that mean? Because I disobeyed. I thought about making this like a raise your hand poll question, but I thought that might be just a little bit tough on our audience. But so mentally raise your hand or think about yourself. Like, have you disobeyed your parents today? Don't, you don't have to move a muscle. Just think. You can own it if you want, but just think. Right? Okay. Did you disobey them yesterday? The day before? The day before? Did you disobey them with a thought? Did you disobey them? Oh, look at you brave kids. Yeah, we do. It's called sin. We do that. I'm not making light of sin. God just said, be holy for I am holy. What I am pointing to is the glorious point of the gospel. For sinners in this room, that you admit, I have disobeyed the Lord. He has grace for you. He has grace for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. He promises, promises that for anybody that repents of their sins and agrees with God that I sinned against the holy God, not my parents. I didn't thought I did the wrong thing. It's not that I got in trouble. It's that I sinned against the holy God. And He demands holiness. And He's right to demand it. If I place my faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me, not only to pay my sins and satisfy them fully, but also to give me His perfect righteousness instead, what an exchange. You place your faith in Christ. He promises you will not be disappointed. He promises you will be saved. He did it for the thief on the cross who had no time at all to obey. And he does it for anybody who comes to him in repentance and faith. And that is your glorious hope. And what we can look to now in the context of Ephesians is he's talking to believers. He's talking to believers. He says, I'm holy. Walk in a way that imitates me. Walk in a way that imitates me. So that wraps up our first part of God's right plan is that he did that. He has had the family unit as the singular right plan, the plan for the entire time. All the way back from Genesis. So that parents would instruct their children in God's word, so that children would learn from God's word, and they would iterate that forward as they grow up and get married and have their own kids. And that would continue. Our second part of God's right plan is for children to obey in their actions. This gets into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, Obey. That word is a command. There are verbs. Who's learning about verbs in school? Yeah, my kids are. Yeah, it's all over the place. There's transitive verbs. There's direct objects and things that happen. I don't know. I'm past that part. I've forgotten all of those things. But they are learning all of those things. And what I've learned is that when you have a present tense verb and it's an imperative, it means that it always applies and it means that you must adhere to it. It's commanding you to do it. Another way to think about it, this is another word, is to submit. What does submit mean? Oh, I got a lot of hands. This whole triad over here. Yes, Mr. Bowen. Yes, perfect. To place yourself underneath the authority of something and not just place yourself underneath it. There's an idea that happens right after that because you can say, yes, I will submit to you. And then you can walk the other direction. So it's submit and do it without reservation. So when it says children, obey your parents, that verb obey is 
I submit myself underneath it, which means I'm placing my will underneath yours. Now, you don't have memories of this, but your parents do. And you can ask somebody at home to test this theory. I have a three-year-old, so my memories are fresh. Three-year-olds, two-year-olds, their will starts showing up. It gets louder and louder as you grow, your willfulness. And if you could take a two-year-old that sees something that he or she wants, you could see their willfulness. And you can say, don't do that. And then you'll see them look at you, and you'll see the cognitive recognition of, I understand what you just said. And then you'll see them disobey. I will not submit my will to yours. And then to know how evil sin is, which is in your hearts and minds, imagine that two-year-old was the size of Alejandro. Or Mr. Wilson, even better. He's a bigger person, right? Imagine your two-year-old was that size and had no emotional control, and was only going to get what he wanted. Just like Mr. Rolston around sugar. You know, he's only just going to get what he wants. And so if you do that, and you stand in his way, what's that two-year-old going to do? He's going to pick you up and toss you out the window. That's your will. It's easy to see in a two-year-old. It's harder to see as you grow, because you hide it, or you restrain it, or you make it submit to someone else's authority. And God is telling you, children, obey your parents in the Lord. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, obey your parents as you would the Lord. Thinking, the Lord is watching what I'm doing. I love how he says that. Proverbs 1.8 says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, which means to hear it and to do it and then to not leave it. So you keep hold of it. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and don't forsake the teaching of your mother. Which now we're hearing it, we're teaching it, and we're observing it, which means we're paying attention to it. We're not just taking it at first hand and go, okay, fine, whatever. We're observing it. We're taking it in, we're placing it in our heart, and we're on purpose submitting to it. So you might think, Drew, how far does that command you know, go in my life? What, how many things does that apply to? Colossians 3.20 answers it. He says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So you get the quantity of things, how many things, all things. And then you get the qualitative aspect of it. Well, how and why is well-pleasing to the Lord? So you see a couple illustrations of what this looks like in Scripture. I just pulled out the most overt illustration of submitting will to the authority above you. We're going to go to Jesus. And then go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because we see what's happening there. Jesus, when he's on earth in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be arrested. He's about to go through the process of crucifixion. He knows what's happening. He's doing this voluntarily for his own. And he says this in the Garden, Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. And he says, And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then in verse 42, he goes away and prays again, and he says, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Now that is obey. Your will be done. I'm voluntarily placing my will underneath yours because I know it's right, and I know I need to follow, and I need to do it immediately. Your will be done. Final full stop, end of story. That's obedience. We see disobedience all over the rest of Scripture, but I'll give you a couple of Proverbs that illustrate it. 
chapter 19, verse 26, illustrates disobedience this way. It says, He who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. Who fights back and ignores their parents and drives them away from the authority in their life. That's disobedience. Fighting back and driving the instruction of your parents away. Proverbs 28, 24 says, He who robs his father or his mother, he says, That's not a transgression is the companion of a man who destroys. You get that? Like, your parents may come to you later in life and ask you to, I don't know, mow the lawn. Mow the lawn. Who lives down there? Yeah, I know. He mows his lawn. Right? So you mow the lawn. Okay. And you say, no. You should have just seen his dad's look right out. It was great. You say, no. Right? And... You say no and you walk away. That's robbing your parents. That's a way you could help your family. It's a way you could help your parents. And then the audacity beyond that is you say, well, it's not. I, I can say no. That, as Proverbs describes it, is a companion of man who destroys. So to obey is to submit your will voluntarily, without reservation, completely to your parents' instruction. Okay, well, who do you obey? Your parents. So it says, it says, children, obey your parents. And how do you obey? You obey in the Lord. That qualification, it means a few things. That qualification means that you do it to His standard. What's God's standard for anything? Say it again. Perfection. Matthew 5.48 says, You shall be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. You should be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You should do it by His power. He tells you that He doesn't leave you alone, Christian. He doesn't say, now go out and do all these impossible things that I've left you. He's given you a helper. He's given you the Holy Spirit. You can obey. He's also said to obey cheerfully and wholeheartedly. It's not like, hey, I'm going to just will myself and do it. No, it's impossible. But you trust the Lord, knowing that I'm doing these things for the Lord. Why? Because you love Him. Why? Because He told you, I am the Lord, your God. Be holy as I am holy. Do what I am saying to do because it's right. And he does it in the knowledge. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Dusty took us to Psalm 139. How much does God know about you? Everything. Does he know the thoughts you have before you're about to have them? Yes. If you needed a definition of everything, I can't get one better than that. Can you run away from where God is? No. He's everywhere. So we do things in the Lord knowing full well that he's there. Something I love from that sermon. You should go back and listen to it. In Psalm 139, it says, he's laying his hands on you. Is, is that laying his hands on you is he's paying so close attention. He wants you to obey. He wants you to do well. And he's there to help you. You're not alone in this opportunity to obey. He gives you the ability to do it. So we have to ask the question now and expand on this. What does this obedience look like in real life? For you to obey the way that we just talked about full submission underneath their authority, without reservation, with a willingness to do it. Just like Jesus obeyed his Father and said, this, if, this, if this cup can pass for me, but if not, your will be done. What does that look like in real life? This side of the room has lots of examples. Why? Because you're children, and this happens multiple times a day. What does it look like to obey your parents? Yeah, to do what they say right away with a happy heart. Okay, specifics, please. 
Omer and Mishra, you're going to get Tosi. Okay, so that's, that's close. That's really close. Taylor got really excited about the dishwasher. Ah, then you add before you have to get cold. Now, it's totally possible to just go, hey, random request. I didn't know that was coming. Should you obey that? Yes. 100% that's possible. But if you know you're supposed to do it, and you wait until they remind you to tell you to do it, was that full obedience? Where you subjected your will to theirs, and you said, I got it. Was that full obedience if you waited until they told you? No, it's not. Because what was going on in your heart? Say it again. I'm waiting for them to tell me because I'm, there's some part of me that is saying, I know you want me to do that, Dad, but I don't want to. That's called disobedience. If it's not that clear to you before it is now, that's disobedience. God's Word says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's no other thing about it. It's unequivocally right. You start arguing in your head, that, well, maybe if they ask me, maybe, maybe they won't ask me today. It's Thursday. I know we're doing it on Tuesday. It's full. You start rationalizing why you shouldn't do it, you are wrong. That's called disobedience. He wants us as children to obey in our households underneath their authority because it's right. And that's what he ends that verse with. He says, because it is right. And so it looks like immediate obedience. It sounds like, yes, mom, yes, dad, whatever the cultural language is in your home where you acknowledge, I'm going to do it. And then it feels like you're doing it because you want to do it, because you want to do it because it's in the Lord and it is right. That's why we do that. There are possibilities, and y'all's real, it could be a real existence where you don't have believing parents. Or you have a parent that in their error and their sin, they ask you to do something that God says not to do. The right response is to do exactly God's word handles this. You don't think, oh no, there's the enigma that can't be solved. No, he handles this, and he handles it in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John were proclaiming Christ, and the leaders of Israel said, hey, stop that. Stop healing people. Stop giving people the gospel. Here's what they said in response. Acts chapter 4, 19 and 20. They said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to your heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We obey the Lord. Even in, even in situations where you're being asked to do something by an authority that is not what God says to do. How you respond to that is really important. How did Peter and James respond to that? Peter and John respond there. They told the truth, and they humbly accepted any consequences coming their way. That's exactly how they did that. We always obey the Lord because it is right. Because it is right. That word, it is, for this is right, it means that there's no other method, there's no other motivation, there's nothing else. It's clear and simple. It's just what is. That verb, if it is, is right to be. And there's no, there's no inaccuracy around it. I will give you the example of gravity. Can you change gravity? No. Why? Why can't you change gravity? You're willful people. Why can't you change gravity? Someone different. The twins. It's hard. Who made it? Ah, because it's right. You can't change it. What about time? Can you change time? No, Tucker. How many minutes are in an hour? I know. School at night? You're crazy. How many minutes are in? 60. Can you change that? No, no, it's 42. 
No, you can't. Why? Because God set up how we change time. He, he set it up. There's no other way to do it. That's what it means for this is right. We obey because this is right. And the next question is, how do we obey? And that goes into our second, our third part, which is, how do we obey? Which is, children, you honor your parents and your attitude. This is verse 2 and 3. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, so that you may live long on the earth. So, children, honor your father and mother. That word honor means to regard with high esteem. It means to admire. It means to venerate. It means to hold up with deep respect. When your parents ask you to do something, how do you honor them that way? What's the right answer? Don't tell me what you've done in the past. What's the right answer? Yes. Joyfulness comes in. Okay, yes. I saw, I saw a hand over here too for honoring your parents. How do you honor your parents as they ask you to do something? We heard joyful obedience. That's good. Fox? Ah, the standard to which you do it comes in. Right? What if you're a better vacuumer than your parents? Seriously, you got a vacuum? I loved vacuuming growing up. Maybe that's a weird thing, but I did. I could see the marks, and it was clear, and it was easy, and there's a process that I could follow. It was great. Right? It was. What if you're a better vacuumer than your parents? Whose standard do you use? It's not a trick question. You might say, Drew, you're trying to get me to say parents are saying the standard. No, honor your parents as to the Lord, and so you use a higher standard. Honor your parents. Honor them with your attitude. Work hard. Do it to the way they've expected it, or even better. So now not only do we have action, but we also have attitude. It tells us this is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And he goes to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Paul's quoting that. Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments are. This is the fifth commandment. Exodus 20, 12 says, and we're written down, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This is the only commandment. Oh, I'm sorry, this is the first commandment that happens right after all of the how do you love the Lord your God? How do you deal with God? And then he goes straight to the family. He goes straight to the family. He says, honor your mother and honor your father and your mother. This idea of the first commandment isn't in rank because it's the fifth, so it can't be first in rank. And it's not, and it's this idea that it's, it's principle, it's chief, it's important. We've talked about that. The whole, the, whole, the whole part of Scripture says the family is the way that God has chosen from generation to generation to generation to pass his word down to proclaim his gospel. And so when he gets to relating with people, the first thing he says as a commandment is honor your father and your mother. And he says it with a promise, this idea that things will generally take place. Is what that means. It's not a, uh, the promise of uh, exact application, but it's that generally this is what's going to be real for you. And in verse 3 he says, so that it may be well with you. So that it may be well with you. You look back over your life, he's talking about you can have a quality quality of life that's blessed by God. A quality of life that's blessed by God. Which means that when you grow up and you live this way, you can expect that. God will bless you. doesn't mean you'll get everything you want. It doesn't mean you'll have all of the blessings of this world because that's not the promise that God's making. He's saying that qualitatively, He will bless you. You will have peace with Him. You will have peace um, and favor in His eyes. And then the world will treat us how they treat us. But you can have qualitatively promised life. And then he says, so that you can live a prolonged life on this earth. What does he mean by that? 
Well, think with me here. If you were to be a disobedient child, like just mark your entire life, whatever your parents said, you said no, and you grew up, what kind of an adult would you turn out to be? Someone who follows all the rules or someone who gets in trouble about breaking all the rules? And what happens to people who get in trouble about breaking the rules? They go to a place called jail. Their, their life is hindered by their actions. And so Paul is instructing you here. He says, if you honor your mother and your father and you obey, then you're going to have a qualitatively blessed life and you're not going to turn into that person that has a life where they get into trouble or run into headlong hurt and they inadvertently shorten their lives either because of their own unchecked choices or because uh, of, of God's even discipline in their lives. So last application question and then we'll close. I want to explore a little bit how do we honor our parents beyond cheerful obedience. How do you honor your parents beyond cheerful obedience? There's more than just cheerful obedience if you're going to honor your folks. This is the hardest one. I have a whole list of answers. Okay, I'll give them to you. You ready? You listen intently to their instruction. You should think to yourself, I wonder how teachable I am. Do I make it easy for my parents, or do I make it hard? If you make it difficult, they tell you multiple times in a row is how you make that difficult, you're making it hard. That's not honoring your parents. You proactively serve them on purpose because you love them. When they ask you, hey, how'd your day go? You don't respond with, eh, some grunt. You respond with an open heart to serve them, to love them, to be open with them. You proactively seek their counsel. You forgive them when they make mistakes. You pray for them. And the timing of your obedience is immediate. And then as you age, you don't leave them behind. When you grow up and you go out on your own, you get married, and you're out of your parents' house, the command obey your parents is gone because Genesis 2.24 says, go leave your parents and join your spouse and start your own house. But the command to honor your mother and your father doesn't go away. God's word is very explicit in that. As they age, he says, take care of your own. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In summary, we looked at three right ideas for God's plan. One is that the family is the whole plan, the whole purpose all along. So that the commands of God would be lived and be instructed and be followed and then generation after generation after generation. The second thing we looked at was children, obey your parents. It's a command that you submit willingly to in everything that you do. And the third part we looked at of God's right plan is that you honor your mother and your father which goes well beyond just cheerful obedience, but even proactively, how could I serve them, love them, pray for them, care for them, seek their counsel, listen to them, be teachable. That's honoring your parents. Hold them up in high regard. In conclusion, I have one request of you, just one. Have an honest and open conversation with your folks about this very concept, con this very command. Ask them the question, how well am I doing at obeying and honoring you. That's your question. How well am I doing at obeying and honoring you? Because I want to, because it's right 
Because in the Lord is what I'm commanded to do. There's your question if you want to write it down. How well am I doing at obeying and honoring you? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you very much. And we love how wonderful you are. We love how clear you are. We love your instruction. How there's no questions and how it's unequivocally right. We're going to pray tonight that as we have examined your word, that you have convicted our hearts, instructed our hearts, that we would go and pursue every effort in following after and doing what you've commanded us to do to obey and to honor our folks. Because that is what is right. Lord, help us to do this in your strength and your power. Help us to see our sin and repent. Help us to follow your instruction and give you praise. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.